the Bible reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and verses 36 to 50. It's Luke, chapter 7, uh, and I'm going to read from verse 36. And this is the word of God. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly. Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. uh, It is good to be with you, even though you are not here. Um, We are thankful that God is in charge of the world, that God is working even through difficult circumstances. I I do pray that God has encouraged you and lifted up your spirits this week despite the difficulties. You know, I want to speak about the beauty of faith today. I could have called this talk the, uh, the beauty of God's grace. Both things are true. But we want to look at how Jesus treats those who come to him by faith And despite their their struggles and their background and their experiences, God shows them grace. In his uh, beautiful book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey quotes and uh, he refers to the 1987 movie Iron Weed. It says, in a scene from the movie, the characters played by Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep 
stumble across an old Eskimo woman and she's lying in the snow, probably drunk. And they are beside themselves that they were two homeless people themselves who got together. They debate what they should do about this woman they found in the snow. Is she a drunk or a bum? asked Nicholson. Oh, just a bum, been one all her life. And before that, well, she was a whore in Alaska. Well, she hasn't been a whore all her life. Before that, I don't know, just a little kid, I guess. Well, a little kid's something. It's not a bum and it's not a whore. It's something. Let's take her in. And Yancey writes, The two vagrants were seeing the Eskimo woman through the lens of grace. Where society only saw a bum and a whore, grace or a little kid, a person made in the image of God, no matter how defaced that image had become. Friends, Luke 7, 36-50 tells a story of grace and restoration. It's a story of beautiful, simple faith. It is a story of a life changed by the love of Jesus. It is a message of hope for the lost, the broken, and the outcast. Will you come with me to the first century, to the house of a Pharisee named Simon? And friends, what we see is the risky love by a repentant woman. Now, this is no ordinary social gathering, as you can imagine. Jesus' reputation is growing. He is a traveling preacher. He is a healer. He is loved by the common people, the sinners, the outcasts. He speaks their language, the language of the streets. He taught them how true faith could affect their daily life. You have Jesus on one hand, then you have the Pharisees on the other. They are the religious establishment, revered, even feared as men of unattainable holiness. They keep the ancient traditions. They are separated once. They are the orthodox guardians of the faith, and they did not like Jesus. Jesus threatened them, and it was, wasn't long before they wanted him dead. So you have Jesus on one hand, the traveling preacher of the crowds and the Pharisees, who do not like him at all. But you see, the Pharisees began to express their contempt of Jesus far more civilly. They began with dinner invitations. Come, meet with us, eat with us, discuss with us your new teaching. What are you, what are you teaching? Who are you? Where have you come from? Come, sit with us. You see, the Pharisees like to express their distinction from impurity through an arduous allegiance to ritual purity rules, food rules, cleaning rules, and so on. But it's interesting that the Pharisees, they didn't separate themselves completely from society. They were separate, but they wanted the world, they wanted the crowd to come in and watch how they lived, watch how they did life. They wanted the crowds to come in and listen to their teaching because they wanted to have an influence on the crowds. See, they were serious men. There was no coarse language or carousing in their gatherings. There was no frivolous discussion. They formed religious societies. They engaged in religious debates over a meal. And so here we have Simon the Pharisee. He hears about Jesus and he invites him over to his home and I guess some of his other Pharisee mates to test him, to check him out. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Listen to that language. They reclined at the table. 
you would recline at a formal banquet. Friends, this was not any ordinary meal here. This was a special meal. This was a banquet. And in a banquet, the traditional roles of guest and host were expected to be acted out with precision by all concerns. See, the gates and the doors were left open, allowing anyone to come in, including the uninvited to enter. The guest, a respectable rabbi or notable person, would be greeted with, with a kiss and much fanfare. They would have a long, low table placed in the center of the meal room. You may have seen the pictures. And great wooden dishes were placed along it. The food was laid out. Sometimes the dishes would be on the floor. And the guests would recline on low couches around the table in order of rank. You know your place. And you would pick up your food and you would eat as you talked. But you see, as you reclined, the servants would come in out the back with their water. And they would wash your feet and they would then dry them up. Because you're an invited guest and that's what they do at these functions. But what we notice is that something is missing. The host failed to wash the feet of Jesus. No servants came to wash his feet. Jesus received no kiss of greeting. It would normally happen as he walked in. Nor was his head anointed with oil. We're told that this is less offensive, though it was reasonably common practice. If you're a Middle Easterner and you see that, you know something is taking place. Something is not right here. This famous rabbi has been invited to a banquet and none of the normal things have taken place. And you realize that they've invited Jesus to humiliate him, to mock him, to embarrass him. Because I will never forget uh, being a teenager and visiting one of my family, family's homes for a party. And we were teenagers at that stage and uh, all the uncles and aunties and the cousins would gather together. But my father had had a falling out with one of my other uncles. And you see, we weren't quite sure whether we should greet this uncle at the function. It hadn't come up. Dad had not given us advice. I remember walking into this house. It was in Marigville. And we walked down and all the uncles were seated in a circle. Can you imagine that? All the Greek uncles are seated in a circle. And the aunties as well. And so as teenagers, we walked into the place, we, um, we looked and we greeted the first one and you get a handshake and a kiss and the next one and the next one. And then we saw the uncle that my father was not speaking to. And all of a sudden, we didn't quite know what to do. And we bypassed him and then greeted the other uncles and the other aunties. Everyone saw what had taken place. Everyone saw that the three great sinners boys did not greet the uncle. A sign of disrespect, a sign of insults. Everyone knew what had taken place. When Jesus enters Simon's home, everyone knows what is taking place. Jesus has been snubbed. Jesus has been insulted. There is no proper welcome for him. But what we notice, though, is that there is a woman who is watching all of this. And you see, she felt the snub. She felt the insult. It moved her to do something. Who is this woman? She's a woman of the city, a sinner, we're told in verse 37. Probably a prostitute, known by the people in that town for who she was and what she had been up to. But she had heard that Jesus 
was to go to the Pharisee's house and she went along. Verse 45 implies that she had arrived at the same time as Jesus or just before him. She wants to meet this person who has changed her life. Friends, the assumption of the story is that she's already met Jesus and been changed by him. See, Jesus is the one who traveled with a group of women as well as men, some of whom it was said were once also prostitutes. She had heard him speak and tell great stories. There was something accepting about him that she'd never seen before. She had come to offer him a gift. She had brought perfume to anoint his feet. What triggered her startling actions? She, like everyone else, has probably noticed the absence of the kiss of greeting. There's no kiss for her saviour. No one washes his feet. And I suggest to you that she becomes angry and frustrated and her, her Lord has now not tr been treated with dignity and respect. In fact, he's being insulted. And Jesus accepted it all with grace. He remains silent and unperturbed throughout the meal, although feeling the pain. But the woman, though, she is totally overcome. Can you imagine? She's watching all this. She is a sinner forgiven by Jesus. She could not kiss him. They wouldn't, or they could not kiss him even. They could uh, leave his feet filthy. They could treat him, in fact, like a dog. And her devotion and gratitude and anger mix. She forgets she's in the presence of a circle of men hostile to her also. She can't greet him with a kiss. Such an action would be hopelessly misunderstood. What does she do? She can kiss his feet. And you imagine there is Jesus and the Pharisees and all the people reclining. And this woman of the streets runs in, falls at the feet of Jesus. She starts to weep and her, her tears are all over Jesus' feet. And what does she do? And that's a sign of emotion and commitment to Jesus. And as this woman runs in, and her tears are now all over the feet of Jesus. What do you think the crowd's doing? Simon would be aghast by this. Who is this woman who breaks in? This is so-called rabbi, and he's accepting the kisses by this woman. And he probably thinks, I've got Jesus now. He thinks he's a prophet. He thinks he's from God. Well, let me uh, see who he really is. Can you imagine this woman? on the ground, weeping over Jesus' feet. Everyone is watching her. Everyone is looking at her. Some are probably calling out insults. Others just embarrassed that this woman is in this place. What's she going to do now? She has no towel. Simon will not give her a towel. There are tears everywhere. So she lets her hair down, dusty from the streets, and she wipes his feet with her hair. She's now done the unthinkable. This story is getting worse as we go on. The gas from the onlookers would have confirmed her fears. The atmosphere would be electric. They thought she was seducing the rabbi from Nazareth. See, for a woman to let down her hair in the Middle East is for her to initiate a sexual act. It's an instrument tender gesture that a peasant woman only allowed her husband to observe. You see, in the Talmud, the Jewish writings, it is indicated that a woman can be divorced for letting her hair down in the presence of another man. Here she is, the center of attention, her hair out, wiping the feet of Jesus. 
Wow, what's everyone thinking? A rabbi seduced by a prostitute in the home of Simon the Pharisee. She begins to kiss his feet again and again. Then she takes out perfume and pours it on his feet. Now, Jewish ladies will commonly wore perfume flasks suspended from a cord around the neck, hung down below the breast. So she pulls it out and pours it over. Now, if you're Simon, your calculated snub of the young rabbi is not proceeding according to plan. You've come to insult Jesus, and now your home is an embarrassment to your community. And Simon responds, well, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So it reveals why Simon has invited Jesus. Is he a prophet? Is he from God or who is he? Jesus can't be from God. He can't be a prophet. He has no idea that this woman is a sinner. Here lies the very crux of the episode, the very point that Jesus would later make. You see, Jesus proved that he was a prophet. He would prove that uh, he, had, in fact, had come from God because he knew who this woman was. He sensed her repentance. He felt her relief and joy at being forgiven. He saw the outpouring of love from a repentant woman. Simon couldn't see it. The Pharisees couldn't see it, but Jesus could see it. And Jesus accepts the love and adoration of this woman. Because, you see, Jesus is a prophet, he sees things as God sees them. Simon doesn't. Mike Frost, the lecturer at Moreland College, uh, has written a number of books. I remember a story he tells in his book called Jesus the Fool. It's a story of a young woman with two kids that he knew that had suffered at the hands of a violent husband. And there is this woman constantly being beaten, cruelly beaten. And the church tried to help her out, but she feared her husband so much that she wouldn't leave that situation. She was a woman without dignity or self-respect. Then one day after hearing a sermon on finding inner strength and new life in following Jesus, she responded to God's love. And the church was so delighted. They've been praying and loving this woman, serving her, ministering to her. And one day she said, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Yes, Jesus, I understand your love for me, that I can be a new person. And they invited people to come to the front of the church when they made a commitment to Jesus. And she stood up and she walked to the front of the church. And there was a sense in which she, she stood up with relief and with hope, with newfound dignity. Her chest was puffed up with respect, her face glowing with hope, Mike says. She began a new life that day. But he does say that there were two responses to this woman walking barefoot down the aisle of the church. For many, there was great joy for what was happening to this woman. However, some commented that they were hoping the next time she came to church, she would wear shoes. They felt irreverent, irreverent to be barefoot in the house of God. Friends, when some people looked at the woman, they saw repentance, faith, hope, joy, and new life. When others looked at her, they saw that she had no shoes on. Some had seen the woman through God's eyes, some through the eyes of formalized religion. So it was with Jesus and the Pharisee. How do you see? Do you see through Jesus' grace-filled eyes? 
Or do you see others through formalized religion? Can I challenge you to see through Jesus' grace-filled eyes today? And you, you know why we know that Jesus uh, valued this woman? For, because of what happens next. It says, Simon, I have something to tell you, verse 40. In other words, Simon, you've got no idea about sin and faith and uh, true faith and repentance and forgiveness. Have a listen to this story. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. How about that? Cancelled the debts of both. One was a great debtor. By the way, 500 denarii. One denarii was a day's wages. 500 days wages, and this fellow just forgave them all. The same grace is extended to both, says Jesus. And Simon is then questioned by Jesus. Now, which of them will love him more? Which of them will love him more? Simon the Pharisee is trapped. He has to answer logically, doesn't he? The one, I suppose, who had the larger debt cancelled. Although Simon misunderstood the human scene in front of him, the logic of the parable is inescapable. Love in the parable is a response to unmerited favor. Indeed, a response to pure grace. You see, the woman has received God's grace already, and she now demonstrates love. Remember the scene? Where are we? That banquet planned to humiliate Jesus has been hijacked by Jesus. He sits comforting a bereaved woman with her hair out. There was perfume spilled all over the floor, and all the other guests, at one minute repulsed and now intrigued, hang on to every word of Jesus. But there's more to come. I love this final bit. Jesus, listen carefully, turned toward the woman sitting there and said to Simon. The speech is addressed to Simon, but it is delivered facing the woman. The woman who is at the center of attention. It is delivered as a speech in praise of her kindness and her worth. You say, if he was facing Simon as he said this, you might notice in him a tone of harsh accusation. But no, you see, he faces the woman. And I think it takes a tone of gentleness and gratitude and kindness towards this woman. Listen to the words. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. He looks at the woman. He says these things. He is affirming him. He is lifting her up. He is speaking truth and hope and grace into her life. And he criticizes the hospitality of the Pharisee which was culturally unacceptable as well. But he had a greater message. Her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. For he who has been forgiven loves little. You see, her expression of generous love testifies to her forgiveness. Here's a woman who's been forgiven by God and changed by God. And just in case they didn't get it, just in case the religious leaders didn't understand what he was getting at, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. What a great relief. What a great encouragement. When everyone else judges you, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. 
And Jesus is saying this woman should be included as part of the community. This woman is not an outcast. This woman is forgiven. She should be loved and accepted. Simon failed to rejoice in the salvation of this woman. He also failed to appreciate that he owes a debt to God too. And he needs his debts forgiven and cancelled. But you see, Simon is confident in his own righteousness. And he judges this woman. The other guests began to say among themselves, Wow, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus makes it very clear in forgiving sins that he claims to be equal with God. Doesn't he? So often in the Gospels. Because everyone knows that only God can forgive sins. And Jesus forgives sins. And in verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her faith, puts, she trusts in Jesus. She demonstrates that by outrageous love towards Jesus in a very difficult situation. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a beautiful faith. Responding to the beautiful grace of God. What a story. Amazing grace and risky faith. Friends, let me say to you this morning that God's arms are open wide. He invites them to come to him and to trust in him. But he also invites us to see with grace-filled eyes and not like the religious of Jesus' day. And as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, where we remember the sacrifice of Jesus for us, because we are all in debt to God. We are all saved by grace. All saved by placing our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not in ourselves, but in Jesus Annie's going to sing the song, Rock of Ages. I love these words in one of the uh, verses. Nothing in my hands I bring. It's all grace. Similar to the cross I cling. It's all Jesus. Naked come to thee for dress. I'm a terrible sinner. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Worship at home, will you now? Rock of Ages.